Thank you, Paul. That was lovely. Um, a lot of stuff that I'm going to talk about this morning, those songs were just perfect for them. The, the lyrics, the, the ideas, the thoughts that are contained within it. And uh, I just got that sense of, do you know where um, Saul used to bring in David to play the harp? There's something when strings you're playing, isn't there, that just is, that brings that peace that we were talking about as you just close your eyes and, and let the Spirit of God do something within you and, and stop and take time to, to let the Spirit of God flow through you. And just a side note, this is, this is not part of my timing this morning, so I'm not going to start my clock until I finish this. Um, okay. But just read this this morning. Um, get an email from a guy called Richard War every morning. Now, Neil reads it every morning. I don't. But I, I, I know it's, it's a sin. It's my confession. But this morning at the end of his email, there was something written in it that I think I want to share to set up where we're going with the visions. And I believe there's no point in me coming here this morning to bring information. There's no point in me coming here to read from the scripture for the sake of it and to give you ideas and things that maybe God has spoken to me unless we are on a journey together as a family reading through the scripture all together. Unless we're all in Ephesians and so you know where we are and we're going to be there for the next number of number of weeks. We're going to be in Ephesians. And so what I would love to encourage you to do, I think this is a really key building block, is that you read it and reread it and get different versions and get different thoughts. And you ask the Spirit to illuminate you so that when you come here on a Sunday morning, you're not coming to hear afresh just something new. You're actually coming to have something added or that you can add as you have coffee or that you can add as you're talking outside or as you meet during the week that we are on this journey together where the Spirit is speaking to us through the same word and building us together in oneness that Ephesians 2 talks about and uh, okay you can add this as part of it I suppose but it says this the late Christian author Rachel Held Evans another one of uh, another author that Neil loved and introduced me to encourages reading the Bible with a willingness to engage in the mutual process of inspiration inspiration is not is not about some disembodied Ethereal voice dictating words or notes to a catatonic host. Sorry for the big words. It's a collaborative process, a holy give and take, a partnership between creator and uh, creator and creator. God is still breathing. The Bible is both inspired and inspiring. Our job is to ready the seals and gather the embers, to discuss and to debate, and like the biblical character Jacob, to wrestle with the mystery until God gives us a blessing. That's the point of what we're doing this morning. It's not for me. I guarantee you most of you have probably deeper thoughts than I have in what I'm about to read. This is a journey to gather a process. Forgive me. I genuinely, my reading skills have dropped after COVID. I cannot read. You can tell from that. Maybe it's just big words. But let's get on with this this morning. Uh, I've always had a problem with big words. Evasions. We're back in evasions. Wow. Exciting. This is my favorite book. Um... Just a fun fact, the first ever time that I preached in America when we went to live there, I preached on Ephesians. And do you know how many pages long my first sermon was? Twelve pages. It's only five today, four and a half. So you're lucky. They, they got the, the raw deal whenever I was in my young 20s and eager to exposit every single detail from Ephesians and get every um, Greek and whatever out of it. We're not going to do that this morning. Thank you, God, you're saying. Um, so Ephesians, today I want to um, qu- take a quick overview of the book. We're continuing to introduce the book, but what I want to do is go to 40 years in the future. 
to Revelation, Revelation 2, where we get a snapshot of what the church has become and then go back to finish off Ephesians 1, where Neil brought us to last week. And so I'm going to read from uh, Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7, and I'm going to read it from the NIV. And it should be up on the screen there. Oh, maybe... I'll fill in the wee bits at the edge there, okay? (laughs) Technical, technical difficulties. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. We'll leave it there. Repent and do the things you did it first. And so Jesus here is giving us a perspective of the church at Ephesus, but he's also giving us an insight to his heart for the church. Gerald's sis, sister, how do you say that? It's the next one there, Caleb. He says, when the church is functioning at its best, there is simply no community on earth that can rival it. But when the church is functioning at its worst, there is no community on earth that can do as much damage. Do you want me to read that again? Or just drop the mic? This has been, I've been thinking about this all week. The damage that I can do with knowledge that I think I have or a view or an opinion I think I have. And we're going to be pulled back this morning to the key of a good, vibrant church that the community has introduced to Jesus. It's one that remembers its first love. Keep this in mind as we go through this morning. Jesus wants to communicate to us today through this verse in Revelation. He wants to illuminate us. He wants to spark something within us. And so in Revelation, this was one of the oldest church plants that is referenced. As I said before, it's about 40 years old. It had the longest history for him to refer to and to talk to, for us to give an indication of what a church might start to look like as it loses its first love. But the good thing is, there's always a but in the Bible, the good thing is it starts with a commendation. Jesus is starting with the good things that they are doing. Commendation means official praise. It's coming from the top. Can't get any higher. It's coming from Jesus himself. This is what I'm saying to you as a church. Number one, and listen, this is just an overview this morning. I'm not going into any great depth, but I encourage you to just jot these down and do it yourself. There should be another slide for that. Um, Caleb, you have persevered. The church has been through multiple phases. It might have been at multiple locations with multiple leaders um, at this stage and there's one thing that I've started listen I'm not that old but I feel like I'm getting older there's people in here older than me I'll not look I'll look up the roof there's people in here older than me and you can tell me whether this is true or not but as you get older as you get further on in life you have more baggage is that true there's more stuff you need to get rid of it's harder to let go of stuff it's harder to change it's easier to give up maybe And I think this might be a snapshot of where this church is 40 years later as it starts to mature and grow and get older. But the Aramaic here, we'll do do a few back to the the roots. You have to look a wee bit smart. 
It's this, you endured suffering without complaining. You done it all and you didn't say a word. Well done. At this time, I know there's children here this morning, so we'll not go too deep into it. But at this time, Christians were being heavily persecuted. Whenever the church was first initially planted in Ephesus, there there was uproar. There were some riots, but there was a revival. We'll talk a wee bit about that later. Something happened in that city and Christians got favor. Christians were placed in a good place. It was okay to be a Christian. It was kind of the in thing for a season. But 40 years later, it is, things have started to change politically in the city and Christians were again being persecuted. And there was one emperor uh, who hated Christians so much that whenever he had parties, any Christian prisoners that he had, he dipped them in tar and used them as human torches in his garden. At this exact time when Revelation was written, there were lots of stuff, we'll not, go, we'll not say the words, it's really hard when there's kids here. It was a port city where all of Rome went through it to get to the Far East. And because of the port city, there were things at every corner, you know what I'm talking about, was it at every corner for the men to um, go in and come back onto the ship vice versa, that's what we'll go into this morning. It was not a nice place to be. It was not a picture-perfect port steward. It was a horrible, dark place where lots of stuff that was, was going on that was darker than anything that you and I could ever imagine. Yet in the middle of this, he said, well done, you have endured suffering. And at least to the second one, you're known for your holiness. You cannot, it says you cannot tolerate wicked people. So imagine what I've just described, the immorality in Ephesus, the things that were going on. It was the the giant temple to the god Artemis was there. And it was also, like I said, a port city. But Jesus said, in the middle of all this, you had every chance to say, everyone else is doing it. It's normal. You don't get looked down on if you behave like that in this city. But yet, the church was known for its holiness. And my, my thought here is not that it says you cannot tolerate wicked people. I don't think that's in a sense of, oh my goodness, don't come near our church. I think it was a protection they placed on their church and the culture of the church. These people were very welcome. I believe it would have been a place of love. Come in here. But we do not tolerate what goes on outside these walls. When you come in here, culture is different. Things are different. It's set by our first love. The next one that you are known for and they were commended for is you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not You have tested people that come in here with all these different ideas of doctrines and of what you should and shouldn't be doing. It's very good right now. There's so much of it out in the world right now. But they cared about proper doctrine. And what do I mean by that? They understood who they were. They knew who they were. They were grounded in their faith. They were grounded in their identity. It was a part of their culture. And I believe that they had started to build firm foundations from what we read in Ephesians. But most importantly, together, as a family, it was a part of their culture. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warns the Ephesian leaders that ravenous wolves will distort the truth and steal your followers. There will even be people within your church that will set people against you and will try to destroy it. So be very careful to test those who come in. So what we read then 40 years later is that the elders seem to have taken this word seriously. 
They have tried and tested people that have come in, not because we know everything, but because we want to protect the culture that we have that was birthed when this church was birthed, that Jesus Christ is at the center of it all. Ignatius said this of Ephesians, there is no heresy among them. They don't believe anyone unless they speak the truth about Jesus Christ. And I believe it was a church, a people that were in love with this word that I talked about this morning, the illuminated word. And uh, Richard Rohr again in the thing I was reading this morning, I need to read my scribbles. God, maybe I can't read my scribbles, that's not a good thing. Yes, the word of God is not to disclose ideas about God, but to disclose God himself. And I believe that's what they were protecting. They weren't protecting ideas that they found in here. They were protecting what God had disclosed of himself to them as a people that were so in love with Jesus. They were, as we are reading on Wednesday nights, resilient disciples. They were focused on unity and life together and oneness. And it leads on to the fourth Uh, The fourth thing that they were commended for, and this was working hard, or hard work, whatever way you want to put it. And the Greek word here is based on working yourself to the point of exhaustion. That's not one I like to hear. Working yourself to the point of exhaustion. This was not a lazy church, and they didn't didn't become complacent. I think the church of Ephesus, as I have read the word over the years, I think... It was kind of like a mega church of its day. The church that other people wanted to be like. It got five commendations in Revelation for a start. Yet they didn't grow complacent about how good they had it. About all the things that God had done. They did not become complacent. They continued to work hard together. And I'm not saying um, it's all about hard work. But I believe there was something driving this work. The Spirit of God, the love of Jesus was driving how hard they worked for the gospel. And I don't believe it was necessarily physical work. And maybe some of them were like Paul. They had, you know, nine to five, nine to midnight jobs, yet then come in and done the the church and and taught and whatever it is. But I believe that it was more a commitment to each other and making disciples. The hard work was maybe putting up with each other. The hard work was looking after each other. The hard work was being there for each other. The hard work was creating resilient disciples that weren't swayed by every Tom, Dick and Harry that came through the door and every coronavirus that came our way. We're not going into that one this morning. They were solid in who they were. And they were multiplying through the city. They were strategic. They were planning, I believe it. And this word that we read in Revelation, it wasn't directed to such and such in the church of Ephesus. It was to the church, everyone, a collective group of people. You are working hard for the gospel and the city is being changed. We'll go back to the quote that I said at the start. There is simply no community on earth that can rival the church. This is the purpose whenever you're one together that love each other, that your job is to benefit the city, the village that you are in. This is what it looks like. 
you will work hard for those around you because of your love in Jesus. And then finally, the last one is your faithfulness. You're known for your faithfulness. All of the persecution, all of the hardships that you've had, the time that has went by, yet you have stuck with me. You have stuck with it. But you're doing it all without the passionate love of Jesus Christ that weakens your power and weakens your witness on the world. Imagine this letter being read in public. We come into the mega church, the great church that is transforming the city. And from the outside, it looks like everything is rosy and fine and everything's going great and they're multiplying and there's numbers. Maybe they had a smoke machine, I don't know. But they're, they're a good church and they're, they're vibrant and things are happening. And he reads through it, you've done this well. You've persevered. You are holy. You are te- you've tested those that have come in. You work hard. You are faithful. And the drop the mic moment comes. Yet I have this one thing against you. Oh, now this, remember, remember who's saying these words. I have this one thing against you. And I believe in this moment, and it's for us and it's for them, this is a moment of realignment. What are you going to do with the reality of what Jesus is saying to you right now? Are you going to respond positively and say, my goodness, you are right. What do I need to do to get back on track? Or are you going to respond negatively and say, how dare you say that about us? Do you not see that we are persevering? We are holy. We have tested the apostles. We have worked hard. We are faithful. How dare you? I think that's maybe the way I would do it. Do you not see what we are doing and how hard we are working and what we are doing for the cause, for the kingdom? Yet I have this against you he's calling them to remember he's calling the church of Ephesus to go right back to the start where it all began back to the roots it's a lifeline he's throwing them a lifeline out and saying I want to pull you back all these things are great but I want to pull you back why because you've abandoned your first love in the original Greek I said I shouldn't have said that at the start because of a few Greek things in here this morning the original Greek means this protos It means foremost, best, paramount, supreme, crowning, number one. Jesus is referring to an exclusive love for him where he is first place. Above all else, where he is first place. And out of him being first place, all these other things flow in health. They're healthy because they're flowing from relationship with him, not from what I can do for him. And it gives them the foothold, it gives them the foundations to go on to what we read then in Ephesians 6, that they will push through into the spiritual realms and they will win battles and they will win cities and they will win villages when they understand the building blocks are your number one first priority of love. Revelation 2 verse 4 to 5 in the Passion it says like this, But I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works of love that you did at first. This is return to your passion for me that motivated you at first. When you first encountered me, Remember what motivated you. Remember that initial encounter. 
with your Savior. He's actually calling them to repent from lukewarmness. He's asking for them to have their zeal and their joy back. Repent of the passion that they've lost. And he's clearly communicating his expectation. And his expectation is not perseverance. It's not just holiness. It's not testing the apostles. It's not working hard. It's not faithfulness. His motive or his clear expectation is return to your first love. And all of these things will flow out of that. Hello. He's clearly communicating to us and he's saying, but you've got caught up in all of these other things that in themselves are okay. They've become an idol. They've become your focus. They've become your driving force. And he's telling them to return to your first love. Um, I read a quote this week. I don't know who it was by. And it says this, a mark of a good Christian is not that they don't sin every day, but that they repent every day. And I believe this is what he was calling them to um, because he wants us to keep short accounts. And the reason is because his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. I need you. This is God saying, I need you to come each day and to repent and to, and to remember your first love and to keep short accounts because if you don't keep short accounts, the enemy will manipulate and distort those things that are in your mind that don't need to be there and those actions that you're doing that are not necessarily from me. And so we can be so busy doing all the things for Jesus that we end up missing Jesus in the middle of it and the purpose of it. And the danger we see here in the church of Ephesus and for us is that everything becomes mere actions and words that end up a twisted version of the original. Anybody else in here where maybe there's a week where it's not much is going on in here and in here it's just words and action. It's okay, it's allowed. That's what the short accounts are for. Eugene Peterson says, it's all reduced to just information, to tools and data. We silence the living voice and reduce everything to be used for our convenience and our profit. Anybody else feel the need to repent? In Acts 19, we read of the miraculous in the visions where thousands of people give their lives to Jesus. It tells us that millions of pounds worth of books, um, where's my notes, of sorcery and witchcraft and occult were burned. Think of this, millions of pounds worth, thousands of years ago. Imagine how high the pile of burning books was. But imagine the number of people that responded to Paul's witness of Jesus to burn those books. This was the start of revival. It was the start of a vibrant church. Do you know what else it was the start of? A messy, mucked up church of people coming from the occult and magic and all the other things that were going on in this port city. That's what a vibrant church with Jesus at the middle can accomplish. The church's presence was impacting the city. And that's where I want to, I'll not say finish, we're, we're, we're getting there. That's where I want to look at today. I want to see where the church started. 
the building blocks that we find in Acts. And this kind of hit me in the middle of the week. I was telling Neil about it. Um, put up Ricky there. I was reading the... Um, some of it's good, some of it's not so good, but some very deep thoughts in it. And he had this quote. Um, Ricky in this um, series called Afterlife has lost his wife. And he's really struggling to get over it. He, he, can't, he can't get over it and he's taking it out on everybody. And some days he's good and some days he's bad. And he said this quote, I know what normal is so I play that role. But it's not how I feel or who I am anymore. And I remember stopping the video when I was watching this and I said to God, that's how I feel. Like some days I come in here as the leader. Some days I go to work as the boss. Some days I come into the house as the dad. And I know how to play those roles. I know what to say. I know what people expect of me. Some days I just feel I can't do it. Anybody else feel like that? I just feel like I can't do it some days. But then after that, I went to the verse that we're just going to finish by looking at this morning. Uh, in Ephesians 1, 18 to 22. And it gave me a hope. Because I believe it gives me the building blocks of, for those moments where I don't feel like that. It gives me the strength. It reminds me of who I am since I've given my life to Jesus. And just like the Ephesians in, in Revelation, it's a calling back to the vision of Jesus Christ in the throne room. And so we can so easily forget how we got to where we are today. We easily forget the people that we've met on the journey, the encounters we've had with God, those moments that have shaped and changed us, changed us the persecution that has came, the trials, the hardship that have shaped who we've become. And it's healthy for us to do what um, Jesus is asking the Ephesian church to do, to stop, to look back. It's actually done this a few months ago, taking stock, looking back of your story. To look at the history you have with Jesus, to look at the history you have with the people around you. To see where you're at in the story and how Jesus has impacted your life. And so I want to read, and I simply just want to read through it. Ephesians 1, 18 to 22 is what I feel is the starting block, the place to start or to go right back to because maybe some of us are a little further on the journey. Let me just read it. Ephesians 1, 18 to 22. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation again. I'll fill in the bits on the edges. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination or your, innermo your innermost being, your heart. Flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. Listen to that. Everything he has, he has put into us. I'm not a betting man, but what I read here is he's, he's putting it all to us because he trusts us. Everything I have, I'm giving to you. You are my inheritance. The inheritance I have, I have placed in you. And now you are my inheritance. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of the immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him, seated him, enthroned him, 
to the place of highest honour and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted at first above every ruler, authority and government and realm of power and existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name there is that is ever praised, not only in this age but in the age to come. And he alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. He alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. God has put everything beneath the authority of Jesus Christ and has given him the highest rank above all others. Now, if you're like me, you're sitting thinking, how on earth is he going to explain all this? I'm not, because there's just so much there. But I had a moment last week of reading through that where it started to illuminate me. Whereas I wrestled with God with it, he gave me something back. And that's something that I can't communicate to you or describe to you, which is why I'm asking you to do it for yourself. That today you take this, this portion, Isaiah 1, 18 to 22, and you read it and you reread it and you let it settle in and illuminate and let it speak to you today because it brought me to a place last week where it started to birth hope in me and started to give me energy and zeal again. It's an invitation into the reality of who you are now with Jesus inside of you. We are not servants. Yes, we serve, but we are family. We have access to all that he has, and we must start with that reality. We must start with the reality that whatever we are going through now, he has won the victory. What was that first one? When I fight, I fight on my knees. I firstly bring it to you because I know that the battle is won and it belongs to you. And I stubbornly continue to try to do it by myself when I have him and when I have all of you. He is seated on the throne. Think of it, our role model right? He's not working away. He's not slaving away. He's sitting down on a throne. What does that mean? What does it mean when he's sitting and he's relaxing on the throne? Maybe he's not relaxing, I don't know. I haven't had that vision yet. It means he's got it. I've got this. And if I'm seated, what do you need to do? Where do you need to start? What's the first building block of our relationship? You need to sit with me. Ephesians 2 verse 6, it goes on, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. The start of our relationship, the start of everything, is that we need to stop and we need to sit and we need to sit at the feet of Jesus and just... And for me, I think it's prayer and, and learning from this and learning from each other. Because that's where the maturity takes place. That's where encounter takes place. That's where the filling takes place. And the foundation of our faith is to stop, to sit, to take rest, to dock and recharge. Has anybody got a, one of those old docking stations for their iPhone? No, I had one upstairs, but I forgot to bring it down. And so I, we're like that. What happens to your phone when you use it all day? It goes flat, it goes dead. And what do you need to do with it? You need to plug it in to charge. What happens if you plug it in for 10 minutes and take it out? Come on now, a wee bit of uh, participation here. All I heard was... <laughs> you have to leave it alone. 
It has to sit and it has to charge for a period of time for it being able to be able to do what it's made to do. And it has to be done on a daily basis. It's not once a week. It's not once a month. On a daily basis, it has to, you have to stop. You have to put it down. Some of us don't. Some of us just keep scrolling on it probably. But we have to put it down and it has to charge for a period of time to be recharged and ready to face what it's meant to face. We'll leave it there. You get the point. The Father doesn't want us to be puppets or driven by propaganda, but he wants us to be heirs of the throne and understand who we are. When we walk into a room, when this church is in a village, things change because we are heirs to the kingdom of God and we carry things. We, are a, we carry things that other people don't carry, not in a way of, oh, look at me, but in a way of, let me serve you, let me change, let me bring change, let me bring hope. It's what we can bring. It's not about us being puffed up and arrogant. And judging, we are heirs to the throne. And so, I'm on the last half a page. How many minutes am I on now? A few left. Just an overview of Ephesians, because this, this has been a part of my life for years. We start with sitting. Sitting, docking, starting to understand you're going, what you're going to read later on. Isn't that right? At the end of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 18 to 22, when we start to understand who we are, then we go to the next part, which is in Ephesians 4, walk in the way of Jesus. As we learn to then sit, we go to a place of walking, walking in the ways of Jesus, but also walking together. And as we walk this out together and walk in the way of Jesus, we are going to, um, what was the first one I read there? We're going to be a, an advertisement for the kingdom of God. So what's that advertisement going to be this week? Some days my advertisement's not great. People definitely wouldn't buy what I'm trying to sell. We're called to be a walking advertisement of the kingdom of God. And I don't mean that in a way that's supposed to bring weight and, oh, no, what am I going to... It's an overflow of being called back to your first love. And we're supposed to do it together. In verse 14 it says, As you walk then in maturity after sitting then you will not be tossed back and forth. You will be resilient disciples of Jesus. There's a, there's a sequence to this. Make history with the Father. Make history together on this journey that you're on. And then, Vision 6, 10, 11, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can, what are we going to do? Sword drill here. Where do you go from walking? Sand, really standing should be first, but I'm not going to argue with Paul. This is the way he wrote it, okay? We will be able to stand, stand firm, stand strong, stand confident in who we are. Stand confident that he's got my back. Stand confident through the trials. Stand confident through the temptations. Whatever it is you're going through, you can stand because you have sat and you have walked says against the, the schemes of the devil. We can stand firm on behalf of Rich Hill or wherever you live because you have sat and you have walked and you have grown and you have developed and you're resilient and you're strong and you're sons and daughters of the king. And finally, we will be ready to fight. Verse 13, put on the armor. 
Verse 17 in chapter 6. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit. Taking means an action from you when you are ready. It's a choice that is made with the knowledge of what your action is. You know what you're doing. You know how to, remember this, wield the sword. We should give out 20p. The Baptist church used to give out 20p if I got it right whenever I found a verse. Maybe, yeah. It's always good to encourage with money, isn't it? I still don't know how to use this right. I've been saved 16 years. I'm still learning how to use this. But do you know, what I, do you know how I've learned more over the last few years of how to use it? By talking with Neil and Neville. And others. But we talk a lot of nonsense back and forth and try and help each other. By doing it in community. By having those moments where I take time to stop and let the word come alive. I learn how to use this. And the helmet of salvation, I do remind myself every day of what he has done for me and what it actually means to be a child of the king. And so that's us done for today. But I want to leave you with this. Can you read what I asked you to read? Have you written it down? Ephesians 1, 18 to 22. And can you today take stock and, and look back? Can you take stock of the people that God has brought into your life? Can you take stock of those moments that have brought transformation, whether they were good or bad moments? And can you take some time this week to stop and be drawn back into your first love? I miss Neville today. Usually I just stare at him the whole time. Neville, wherever you are out there, hope you're enjoying your holiday. Don't do it again when I'm preaching. Be drawn back to your first love. Paul's going to come and we're going to worship just at the end, but can we just take time to do that? I don't know how to make you do that or help you do that. Let's just stand on our feet. Let's just take time. Yeah, we're in no rush.